You're listening to Directly Impacted with Marco and Anna, a podcast about migrants, immigration practitioners, and borders. We break down policy, memes, and give shady indirectas to the nonprofit industrial complex while asking you to join the conversation. This is Directly Impacted. Welcome to the third episode. I am Anna. And we're glad you're tuning in one more time. Yeah, it's it's weird because we're not in the same room together. The world is ending and we can't hang out together, um, which is actually kind of sad. It makes me sad that the world is ending and we can't spend time together with the ones we loved. Yeah, the world is changing. And this is our first distance episode. Our podcast name changed. Ultimately, we decided we were going to name this podcast Directly Impacted. Um because it's language that's used a lot in the nonprofit world um, and in the organizing world. It's very much like, oh, uh, those who are directly impacted should be leading things. Those who are directly impacted should be the ones talking. Those who are directly impacted should be the ones uh, basically figuring shit out uh, and being at the forefront of movements. We can talk about how it kind of is being overused and a little bit later but i don't know what your your take on the on the naming was yeah similarly i think it came from nonprofits and perhaps more corporate um leaning organizers that use these words like um directly impacted right and i have a friend that i organize with for radical hospitality for migrants and um she always says that when she hears the term directly impacted, she thinks that she's being impacted and that all she can think about is like her being impacted to a wall and that she can't see how like other people don't see how saying those that are directly impacted um, others her. And it actually like extricates how the fights for justice for all are actually like really similarly, right? Like, uh, policing of anybody impacts me as a migrant. Um, over-policing of anybody impacts me as a woman. Um, over-policing of anyone impacts me as a lesbian, right? So, like, I think all of those things are related. And when we say, like, directly impacted, we're not, um, we're not elevating folks for who they really are. We're not saying, like, you should lead this because you're you or because, like, you were formerly incarcerated or because like this, it's kind of like cop out language to say like those people. I guess I hadn't thought about the fact that it does other eyes people and it eliminates the issue at hand <laughs> at the same time. It invisibilizes. I know you love that word. It invisibilizes the, um, the, the impact, I guess the issue the you mentioned the over policing the deportations the poverty um the militarism you know so in a way it's like a safe choice of words for nonprofits and um organizers who are uh, professionalized to be able to to say like oh we work with the directly impacted community or this is what the directly impacted community is trying to say is trying to do mm-hmm. um yeah it's like a nice a nice way of saying uh, uh the people that, people that get shit on get on shit our society on yeah right it's like oh those people that we help those people that we don't talk about 
And, you know, like, because of that, we don't have language to really call it what it is. Like, I feel like a lot of times people, like, we could just say, like, let's put black folks at the front. Like, that's the kind of people that should be in the leadership. Let's put black trans migrants at the front. Like, that's, like, the person that should be, like, doing our campaigns or whatever. Like, those are the messages that we want to follow and empower, right? And even if it means that, that, like, my professionalized like role in advocacy or organizing or whatever it means that I'm leveraging that um that class really into like what I'm 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 being accountable to what I'm saying but I think that's what it means right like a lot of times we're afraid to say the words like we need to defend women like we need to pay women for example and and it's easier to say like Oh, like the directly impacted community thinks that they should be paid. It sanitizes the language a lot and it actually allows us to not um, identify with like what we're truly trying to uncover or abolish. So that's the that's the butt of the joke here. <laughs> we're just like, keep, everybody keeps saying this at every meeting we've ever been to. And it's like, uh, okay. The nonprofit industrial complex likes to um, make jargon up and make things clunkier than they need to be. For their own sustainability, right? Because, like, they need to mark up the issue in order for them to, like, continue. Um, so it's just, like, definitely a tool for them to continue taking on this posture of we are here to help you and we're here to fight for justice. But really, you're just there. So welcome once again to Directly Impacted. Yes, yes. This is our third episode. It's exciting. Um, we are living in, in, you said, changing times. You're less apocalyptic than I am. We're just going to move in with our with kind of our, our first topic. Okay, so welcome to a new segment called Corrections. We talk a lot of shit, so we needed this segment. You know, we get we had to carve out some space for us to um, address some of the the things that were mentioned that, in retrospect, are perhaps not as correct. Because sometimes we'll we'll say some outlandish things and be incorrect, and that's okay. It's okay to be wrong, as long as you own up to it. So, in the first episode, I said that Texas was the only state who was a nation before, and um, that's obviously a lie. Uh, Anna wrote down that Hawaii was its own sovereign monarchy, and then they got invaded. Um, and then also indigenous people lived uh, in what is considered to be the modern U.S., and they had their own nations, their own laws, their own civilizations, their own cultures. So yeah, I, I was wrong by saying that Texas was the only state to be its own country. At least for me, I do want to correct that I don't find anything important or admirable from being um, a nation state or that formation of power. I think actually it's the most virulent one in our reality and one of the most um, abhorrent, you know, to kind of bring people together under the guise of a nation, which is a completely made up thing rather than land or connections or other things is it's quite vile so that's my correction there and i mean um 
I mean, by definition, if you believe in abolishing borders, you believe in abolishing countries. So you can't be like, there's no more borders and still have nations. Like, that's not, that's not how it works. I think some people would like it to work that way. Just like drawing a line <laughs> uh, in the sand is really the, the, the weakest way to, to separate yourself from people. And it's also just the, the most useless way to separate yourself from people because people are always moving all the goddamn time. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so we're going to actually get to some of this open border theology requirement for um, abolishing ICE frameworks towards the end of the um, the episode. But for now, um, I think we're going to move into Marco Mansplain's memes. We only have one. Are you ready, Marco? Uh, before we get into it, I do want to say our Instagram name has changed from our previous episodes. Um, it is now on Instagram. We are at Texas.migrants. So that is TXS.migrants. Um, please find us there. We're also going to explain a little bit of, around the vocabulary for migrant, immigrant, refugee, etc. Um, again, in our theme later. So... For now, we're going to introduce the meme. Marco, I want you to read it out loud. Tell us what you see. It's the first time you see this meme. You haven't prepared. Uh, What's going on? Okay. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's it's great. So, uh, let's see. So, this meme, it's... Um, all right. It's, uh, it's split into two parts. There's a top half and a bottom half. And on the first half, uh, there's text that says DNC in 2016. And there's a figure uh, of a man walking into a rake. And then the second image is him stepping on the rake and hitting themselves in the face. And then the second half of the image at the bottom, uh, it's like a full color image. And it says DNC in 2020. (laughs) And there is uh, multiple images of what definitely looks like a man, I guess, um, who's doing very cool tricks down the stairs uh, of this, uh, I guess, area. And at the very bottom uh, lands the trick, but the trick still ends up hitting them in the face. So it's a much more elaborate way to get hit in the face by a rake. And, uh, and it says DNC 2020. Essentially, in uh, 2016, there was no, yeah, there was nothing fancy done in, in terms of like trying to tell us what the DNC wanted. They were like, y'all are going to get Hillary Clinton. Uh, and then Bernie's going to run to like hype some people up and maybe pay attention. But for sure, we want Hillary. And uh, running Hillary. Uh, turned out to be um, a terrible, terrible, terrible uh, decision um, for the DNC, for the Democrats. Uh, she lost uh, key states that Barack Obama handily won before. In 2020, the DNC decided that it was going to allow for more diverse candidates to, to go in and try and, you know, vie for the uh, nominee, but... Ultimately, we all knew that who the DNC wanted was uh, Biden. 
And even though there was more people of color, more women, gay men uh, running for, you know, for the nomination, like it was, it was very elaborate. It was very cool. It was very slick. You know, they were doing all these debates and yeah, but ultimately uh, they landed on Joe Biden, which is the literal uh, rake to the face of this candidate decision. Fuck, what do you call it? Nominee. Nominee, yes. Yeah, so to, to, to this nominee. So there was a there was a much more fun, much more exciting, much more cool looking um way to end up in the same rake in your face. It basically shows that you can end up with the same results no matter how cool or slick you you think you are or think you're being. That is all my mansplanation for right now. It's basically just very like it's like it does like it, it just it, the meme is it doesn't matter how cool some shit looks if you end up with the same results. It's still a smack in the face. For me, it's more like on the second panel. It's like they were trying to look cool. They were trying to look like they were doing something else. But in reality, you're still the same fuckboy doing tricks on the street at the high school. You know, like, it's fine. Like, you're the same thing. You're the same bullshit we're used to. And I think regardless of, like, the clothes you make or, you know, the the setting you're in, the DNC is still the DNC, um, the Democratic National Convention. So what I remember from 2016 is Rick Perry running, being a complete, you know, moron as usual. And honestly, the elections before that, the Republican Party just made it kind of like a ritual to just shoot themselves on the foot, really, and and have the most comical, like, circus type of um, nominees or that they could put forward. And in 2016, uh, they, the Democrats really only put forward Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, but really only banked on Hillary Clinton. And in 2020, they really kind of didn't put resources on anybody that I particularly felt like perhaps booty chug, perhaps somebody else. Um, I don't think that folks were really into Meg Bloomberg. That was really just kind of like a money grab um which was extremely weird and again part of like the cool tricks that they were trying to do like Um, if you if you have enough money like if you have enough money you can run for president in this country they were just he was just trying to prove that right and i think i think what's most telling for me in this meme is that you could say the same thing about the republicans like the republicans in 2016 that's a total rake in the face, regardless of how you see it, because like their party underwent, you know, a big change. It's not as easy to call yourself a Republican in the world anymore. It's either way easier or it's either like way harder for you, right? Like it kind of did take some, it led to some like sectarianism, definitely. But then wouldn't you say that then like those people could just easily be like, oh, well, Democrats don't seem that bad, so I'm going to go join them. Or there's no space for them. Right, but that's still a rake in the face for the Republicans. Right? So Trump winning for them is still dumb. Trump losing would have still been a rake in the face. Like, no matter how you see it, the electoral process in the United States as it currently is and has been since it began is a rake in the face. I think that's my favorite part about this meme, that it applies to truly the, the way that the American government functions. It's truly just 
a dumb trick and then a cool looking trick that is still just as dumb. But the the sad part to that though is that we're all we're the ones getting the rake in the face, not the people in power. Maybe as a party, yes. Maybe um, as Hillary Clinton, yes. They're gonna be fine. They're gonna be like writing books about their defeat or their victories. They're gonna be doing speaking engagements. They're gonna have massive amounts of money and stocks. They're gonna open their own nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's so ultimately like even if it's a rake in the face, it's a rake in the face that they can't survive and heal from because they have the best medical access, which we don't. Um, and so that's why I mean, like, yeah, like it's 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 us that are getting the rake in the face. I agree with your analysis, and I'm also saying, like, we all get fucked. You're saying take the rake back. Mm-hmm. We gotta take the rake, break it in half, burn it. Okay, I take that back. No. We steal the rakes back from these motherfuckers, and then we all get farming or cleaning leaves or whatever. It's fine. Say so We don't have to do anything super duper intense. We can melt um, the metal parts. We could use the wood cuttings for something. Just plenty Wait, of artisans is, is in the, the rake, revolution. Is the rake the U.S.? I, I don't. I don't know what the rake is now. Yeah. The rake are the means. Ah, okay, okay. Equally, all right. And then that's the only that's that's the only meme we got, right? That was Marco Mansplains memes, where I try to my best to explain memes, um, and um, I think Anna did a better job. We're probably just gonna change this into Anna explains everything. Yeah. Well, it is Marco Mansplains memes since it's your intro and your setup, and you're the one being surprised. In reality, it's Anna gives you the political breakdown. <laughs> Anna drops the knowledge. Yes, this is Texas Theology Times, where we kind of just talk about our regional analysis of what's going on. We center our analysis in our physical location, which is Texas, and we give you the theology that comes from that. Um, I do believe that a lot of people in the United States are sort of set up to have a fanatical belief in nationalism, a fanatical fervor for, you know, a Democratic Party or a Republican Party or a military party or, for example, a law enforcement agency of any kind. So I do like to use the word theology for that reason um, because I do think that it's important to demystify spiritual work and demystify sort of creator working in us and working in our systems. And I think that when we talk about changing systems, when we talk about thinking about all these things that are so interconnected in our lives like that, I do think about, you know, the way that spirit moves within us and around us. So I like the word theology for that reason. We have a couple of things to introduce, um, and the first one has to do with movement language. Um, a lot of this episode is rooted in what we like to think or speak about 
and the tools that lead to that, those words. And so that's why we did the title change for the entire podcast series. But also in some of our social media, you might have seen that we pivoted from refugee to migrant. We're going to talk about it today, specifically the word immigrant, migrant, and refugee. We're going to throw other words in the mix like asylum seeker and detainee. But I'm going to let Marco um, introduce a couple points from that and take it from there. Okay, so immigrant, very basic. Uh, someone who is from somewhere else that comes to, if we're speaking in the context of Texas, that comes to Texas. And specifically born outside of the U.S. So if you're an immigrant, is literally just anybody that is born outside of the U.S. who comes to the U.S. either legally or illegally. Can I say that? Can, can we still say legally? Is that fine? People are not illegal, but some of the things that they do are quote-unquote illegal. So, Right, yeah. There's like entry without inspection. That's the sanitized language you could use if you wanted to. But I think there is no shame in saying that like somebody entered illegally, that there's like illegal ways to um, penetrate the nation state border. I like to not obscure that. And I don't like to sanitize and say enter with inspection because that's the language that the state uses. Um, okay. And then you also have migrant in there. So in a way, the word immigrant requires that we have banked on and assumes that nation states and borders are a reality. I think that's the biggest, um, the most obvious thing for me in the word immigrant is that it's married to a reality where nation states still rule, um, where borders are what identifies our papership, our citizenship, our humanhood. Um, and for that reason, I've been trying to personally walk away from the word immigrant. I think there's also things that, you know, separate us when we only see ourselves as like our nation states. That's not to say, right, that like people who are internal migrants are just the same or in the same mix as people who are disenfranchised because they were not born in the U.S. I think it's more of like the similarities are really important and the similarities are what allows us to think collectively against the state rather than uh, bank on that um, citizenship thing, right? Or being disenfranchised because of where I was born. Because again, it ties me to my nation state and reinforces the fact that I need to have some patriotism or some kind of allegiance to to the border, right? That That is inherent when a nation state exists. So at its most basic an immigrant is basically someone who picks up where they were living from and moves somewhere else. It's interesting that you think that the word immigrant gives power to the nation state because like I'm more of the one where it's like, well, an immigrant is just, you just pick up where you were and then you just move somewhere else. Or is that migrant? I guess that could be the, the, the good segue into to talking about what a migrant is. A migrant is basically essentially anybody that moves uh, from their home. Uh, and you can't have immigrants if you don't have countries. Right. At the end of the day, the difference between immigrant and migrant just requires that your audience, 
is a government. It requires that your government is somebody that doesn't only lives in a reality where like nation states are what we should think about. So, of course, if we're talking about lawsuits, if we're talking about, you know, legal relief, if we're talking about any kind of appeal to the government where we have to be very clear and very obvious, we'll use immigrant. But in its most basic form, the word migrant is there. And the word migrant and immigrant, I think, includes some kind of displacement. There's an element of dislocation that is very clear in both of them. What I have said before is that like migrant um, is really for those folks who are kind of moving, who have been moving, whether it's internally, whether it's, you know, internationally or not. When I posed this question to a white person, they asked me a question. They said, well, am I a migrant? They've lived in several different cities in the past year, as well in the years before. And I think that's for you to think about and if that doesn't feel right. And the reason why I would imagine doesn't feel right to that person is because they haven't had that element of displacement, right? They didn't have to leave their home. They didn't have to go make dollars. They didn't have to go earn a different kind of currency in a different state. They were just kind of chasing their dreams. They were just kind of um, making their privilege worth it. They were cashing in their check for their uh, mobility as white people, for their mobility as people who have been born in the United States, their mobility as people who have entered graduate spaces and successfully left them, and, you know, who come in and out of different classes and who come in and out with ease from even different um, races, right, or ethnical groups. So that was something that I have been thinking about, that there's that identity of migrant really, really has more to do with your relationship to the state and your relationship to to movement and w- what you're confronting when you're when you're getting up and moving as you say right so then so then there is you mentioned that element of of having to to be forced to move um to not wanting to necessarily out of your desire to explore the world or your desire to grow up somewhere else or be somewhere else it's it's really it's really complex because I think of like the Great Migration North for Black folks right after slavery en- ended. Oh, it did. Well, when legal slavery ended, and so and so yeah, so I think about that um, how a lot of Black folks in the U.S. necessarily weren't wanting to move north, but they had to. Um, I gotta say, Marco, I'm extremely disappointed that as an abolitionist, you don't think that jail is legal slave labor. Well, I mean, look, what I mean by like textbook definition of like slavery, where it's like chateau, like when we think of chateau bondage slavery, like that's, that's what I meant that when that ended, because now slavery has transformed to capitalism, but that's, that's an entire other section. But yeah, so I think about that. And I also think about, um, the indigenous people that were forced um, to move into what essentially were uh, concentration camps. We call them reservations. Yeah, so the his- so the U.S. does have histories of internal migration, um, of people having to to move within the U.S. and not because they want to, but because they have to or are being forced. It's very different than like Manifest Destiny. That one was like 
the U.S. being like, we're going to keep expanding and we're going to travel. Like, those motherfuckers weren't migrants. Like, they were, they were getting paid to go and take over land where people were already settled. Very different. I also think about, like, my grandma. Uh, my mom tells me that she was uh, a migrant. And I was like, hey, she, she was in Mexico all, all her life. And she was like, no, no, no. Your mom or your grandma used to travel all over Mexico following the crops. So she used to go all over and working. So she was an internal migrant in Mexico. Like that was that was my like my family's first um, I guess migrant was my grandma and then also my grandpa, who was part of the Bracero program, who would come to the U.S., work, and then essentially return. Those were I guess what you would call migrants. People that necessarily didn't want to travel and leave their home, um, but were kind of forced to because they didn't have money where they were living at. Um, and then also I think about my parents and they were like, fuck this. We're going to we're taking our kids and we're going to figure out how to cross a border and we're going to make a, a life for, for ourselves because we can't survive where we're at. Right, right. There's many similar stories, I think, within me and people I grew up with. I was born in La Ciudad de Mexico. I was maybe at most second generation born in the city. My mom, mom's was born in Cuernavaca, closer to uh, Tepoztlan in Morelos. And then my dad's dad was in Michoacán, right? And his whole family had been from there. So there's like also those ideas of like who is moved forced to move towards like urban areas or who's forced to stay in rural areas as well and then we can move into like these other denominators from the state like refugee asylum seeker detainee and this is one that i think folks get explained a lot refugee versus immigrant i want to let you take it over marco to see how long it takes you to explain that so a refugee is basically anybody that isn't from a list of banned countries that the U.S. has that applies to be able to come to the U.S. based on any of the five persecutable classes, four or five, um, like religion. Is it religion? Let's make it super simple. Let's make it as simple as we can. Simplest way, the simplest way is you apply to leave a country that isn't on one of the countries that the U.S. is banned to be able to uh, come to the U.S. because you fear for your life and your family. That's going to be a C for an immigration practitioner that has been working this as long as you, as you have. The key difference, I think, between being an immigrant and a refugee is that immigrants are immediately displaced and then have to show up at the country, at the borders, and either have to face the decision of crossing illegally or waiting to be processed. And refugee is a process that you do from the consulate or the embassy in your own country, and you await for official entry in your country. So you don't travel to the U.S., until you already have been received and you already have been approved. Does that make sense? Yeah, I thought you said the simplest way possible, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> for me, the simplest way is like you apply from your country, you wait until you get uh, approval, and then you travel to the U.S. But that's not what you said. I thought that's what I said. But you almost you almost were there. And I think there's something really important about that traveling, right? Because an immigrant 
has to travel without really knowing. And then as a refugee, you're kind of awaiting and expecting that travel. Um, the travel in a way is a little bit more secure and your entering the country actually is different. And the anxiety kind of relates more to staying at home, right? Because you have to stay there in a weight being processed. Whether as an immigrant, your um, displacement and the anxiety and having to travel, the unknown kind of begins when you decide to get up and go. And so I think like that is really key. Like where are you waiting? I guess the whole problem with the refugee process is that it can be time consuming and that it can take a really long time. And if your life is in immediate danger, you're not going to sit and wait around for the consulates to approve your case for the U.S. to approve your case. You know, like you can literally die or get murdered if that's how serious the situation is um, in the time that the, the U.S. gets your application and you're given permission to come. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up which is why we have asylum so we have asylum um which is kind of null at this point um you have the option to maybe go through a fair asylum process while you're detained which is already not fair so that's where you were gonna introduce those five elements or those things that are protected grounds I guess, but I don't know if I know them all. I feel like I hear them all the time, but I'm just like, what? All right. So I know it was like religion. I think it's mm -hmm. like the big one. Uh, you're up like your politics because you're like an opposing party. Um, your gender. Um, your, I want to say sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was a fifth one. I always get, I always forget this fifth one. So the five protected grounds, these are things that you have to prove that you were persecuted based upon this. So it means that you have to prove that you were harmed or you will suffer harm because of your race, your religion, your nationality, your political opinion, or your membership in a particular social group. This last category membership in a particular social group is very weird to explain this is where creative attorneys have turned it into gender gender is a particular social group so if as a woman you know you are oppressed or as a single woman head of household you have a risk right because those are the people that maybe gangs target if you have any risk because in your particular region maybe people who are gay or trans exist you know they could run a really high risk even just being sometimes um, a protector of these folks folks that are gay or trans can also put you in a particular social group if you're for example a leader of a political movement um, and because leaders are being targeted that is a political group so that's kind of like the the social basis for having to prove that and there's a lot of problems right marco that come from having to prove that you're gonna suffer danger because of these three five things right yeah and um i think uh i did another podcast with uh, a previous colleague and they explained it that you need to explain like the nexus like that's the hardest thing to to prove and it's basically you have to prove that 
you were targeted because of the one of the five protected grounds and you need evidence for that and it's very rare that someone is like i'm targeting you because um you're a woman or i'm targeting you because of this um and that you have evidence to back it up because like yeah they could people can say these things but like unless you can prove it and that is that is why asylum is super duper hard because it's very difficult to prove that exactly half the time you're not gonna know if somebody like hate crime do because they're like saying like hey like i don't think that people like you are people right like they're not beating you up and saying you're gay they're not beating you up and saying like you're a woman and and there's so much impunity in the world there's so much corruption when it comes to criminal justice systems that it's really just hard to believe in that the media will cover enough of the cases to prove that a particular social group a exists and then b is being um, attacked whether it's the state whether it's a paramilitary group or whatever else um, it's really hard to prove all of the time it's also hard to even just talk to an asylum officer but we'll talk to that later i think this Let is where we're gonna where we're gonna end it for anybody listening, everybody that could ever receive this message, is there's a lot of ways to protest. There's a lot of ways to care for other folks. There's a lot of ways to show up for the movement that don't require being on the streets. Disabled folks have been part of the movement for ages, and so it's important that we are elevating also those spaces and that we are making them visible so that other folks can join in and so that it stops being such gendered work. Um, There's a lot to be said about who ends up doing the care work and movement work. So just reminding everybody to take care of themselves so that others can take care of you and you can take care of others.